everyone, and welcome back to Reflect Forward. I am your host, Carrie Siggins, and I hope you're having a fantastic day today. Today, my guest is Rajiv Kapoor. I met Rajiv in Rio de Janeiro in February of 2022, where we were at a YPO event together, and we totally hit it off, and I knew he had to come on to my show. He has done all kinds of interesting things. He's a seasoned high-tech and media executive. He's worked for Dell. Uh, worked actually directly for Michael Dell, which he talks a little bit about in the interview. And he's currently the CEO of 1105 Media, which is a business-to-business marketing events and media services company. In 2022, he was a finalist for both Entrepreneur and Innovator of the Year from the Orange County Business Journal. And he was also named one of the top 500 leaders in Orange County. Rajiv also is passionate about leadership. And that's part of the reason why we hit it off so much besides fact that he's just an awesome guy. He recently wrote a book called Chase Greatness, Enlightened Leadership for the Next Generation of Disruption, where he reveals how most business leaders are out of step with evolving times and values, which is negatively impacting both the effectiveness of the workplace and the bottom line. And he talks about enlightened leadership and how to be great, which he'll talk a little bit about during the interview. I know you're going to really enjoy meeting Rajiv and, uh, and this interview, so hang tight and I'll be right back. All right, welcome back, everyone. I'm here with my good friend and fellow YPOer, Rajiv Kapoor. Rajiv, thank you so much for joining me on the show today. Oh, it's my absolute pleasure. I'm so excited to finally be on with you. You know, it's you're, you're such an inspiration. You're awesome. So I'm really glad we're here. Oh, I feel the same about you. I've been, I love watching your uh, Instagram videos uh, with all of your rule leadership rules. So I know we're going to have a very fun conversation. Oh, I'm excited. I, you know, I, I have so much to say about the subject. And I think the good news is that I think you and I think fairly similarly on the set of things. I think so too. That's great. I think so too. You know, you've had a fascinating career of, of uh, buying and selling companies, working for Michael Dell. Uh, doing all kinds of uh, of fun and interesting things. What are one of the two of the like the most I don't know transformational or informative um, leadership or building company experiences that you've had that have gotten you to where you are today? Yeah, that that that's a great question. It's a, it's a great way to start. You know, so I think there. I'll give you two examples. I'll give you one that was like a real eye opening example, like that really caused me to change who I am yeah. in terms of my leadership style. And then I'll give you one that, you know, that I kind of came at through the COVID times. Right? Yep. So I guess the first one I'll start off with was back when I was at Dell, actually. And I was asked by Michael to go to China. And this was in 2000, Gary. So this was like before the whole world moved to China, right? And I was, how old was I? I was like 32, 33 years old. I was doing really well. And I, I was managing large P&L division of Dell, managing the close for Dell's a $1.6 billion business and things were going great. And I got the call from him and I kind of thought I was getting like this promotion or whatever. And he said, Rajiv, I went to China and I'm like, what did I do wrong? It's like, you know, you're sending me out to Siberia. Like, what did I do wrong? And here after I kind of ranted for, for about a minute, he said, are, are you done talking? He used some other words that I can't say here, but he said he said, are you blankety blank done talking? And I go, yeah. And he goes, well, look, one of the things I learned, he said, one of the things I learned from my mentors is you don't want to give your best people 
the easiest jobs. You want to give your best people the hardest jobs to tackle within an organization. And that was really eye-opening for me. And so I said, ah, I get it. And China was the hardest and the most important new market for Dell to execute in. And I wasn't the first one to go. Some others had already gone kind of prior to me and they did a good job. But now we needed to figure out how to really kind of bring the Dell culture to it, bring more of that sales and marketing side. All the manufacturing operations teams, that they were up and running. Now we just needed to kind of fill, fill them, right? And so I went there and the first six months of my experience were just horrific. Being in, you know, I was being in Beijing, it was hard, Beijing and Shanghai and Shaman. You know, it was just hard. It was, you know, you know, hard. Imagine being in like China before all the investment came into China, right? Now you go to China and there's a Louis Vuitton store in every corner and a Ferrari almost, you know, everywhere you go. But back then it was really, really hardcore, like what we grew up learning about Tian and the queer type stuff, China. And so the first six months were really difficult. You know, I'd have meetings, people would behind my back in Mandarin say, hey, don't listen to them. We'll just do our own thing type of a thing. There's some other challenges. And, and I, I wasn't getting nowhere in, in my first six months. And it was, it was, I was feeling like a big failure for the first time. And I realized that I had come in. So I, I sat down one day and, and it's interesting. I was talking to two of my direct reports, Ronald and Bessie. And I said, what's wrong? What's not working? And they, they, they said, the biggest, the biggest challenge is that you kind of come in here acting like you know everything and you do know everything about Dell, but you know nothing about China. So you, so you, you know, and you know, and it's, it's funny because I'd never been this way in the U.S. Like you never want to be the smartest person in the room. And I was acting like the smartest person in the room. And that was a real eye opener for me. And I'm like, oh, okay, I get it. Like I, I knew exactly what I was doing wrong. And so I asked Arnold and Bessie, you know what we're going to do? We're going to change things up. We're going to, I'm going to make you guys the two VPs of the group. I'm going to be the wizard behind the curtain. I'll still be involved. I'm going to have you guys kind of be the tip of the spear, helping you put, push through what we need to push through. And we're going to find a way to do it in both a hybrid Dell China way and a hybrid Dell USA way. And we did that. And Terry, after it took a, took a few months, but then we started growing and things started going great. And it was pretty awesome. So, so just the whole idea of just, you don't want to be that, you don't want to be the smartest person. It's, and so, or, you know, you had to check your door at the door and it doesn't matter. Even, even your, even though I had good intentions, it was just that outside of team China and, I, and you know, it, and that just wasn't going to work. It's, so that was, I guess, my, one of my biggest earliest lessons I learned about leadership, right? There was that piece. And I talk about it in the rules and I talk about it in my book, the story. And I guess, this, and then the second one is COVID. You know, when, when COVID hit, you know, there was about a 24 to 40 hour window where I didn't know that I was going to have a company anymore. Yeah. And the reason why I was over half my company was events, face-to-face -face events. And they, they weren't like consumer events. They were B2B events. So... I lost all that business overnight. So imagine you're going 100 miles an hour and you a brick wall overnight. Nobody can travel. You know, all the events are canceled. You know, and the lawyers were trying to get involved. Insurance said, you know, force majeure doesn't apply to a pandemic. You know, the hotel contracts were pretty rock solid. No one really wanted to work with you on the hotel contracts. So they were also panicking. If they, they let you out of your hotel contract, they go, we don't so it was a real tough period there. And for the little first couple of days, they, you kind of settled a little bit of imposter syndrome. Like, what am I doing here? Like, well, am I really the right person for this? And then after a while, you learn to put on your big boy pants and go figure it out. And that's what I ended up doing. And what was really important for me at that time was I think for the first time in my career, I, I really kind of put on my 
in, in, in this is, I put on my own mask first. And what I mean by that is, you know, when you get on an airplane, the flight attendant says, in case of turbulence, the mask is going to fall from the ceiling. I'm not talking about COVID mask. I'm talking about the mask from the ceiling. Put on your own mask first, because if you, if something happens to you, you can't help the person right. sitting next to you. And I really, and I, and that kind of really hit me that, you know what, I'm going to do that. So I'm really going to, I'm going to do something different. I'm going to focus on myself. So I started focusing on my mental wellness. I started focusing my physical fitness. I started focusing on myself every day, you know, my own, you know, and just, and that really helped me get through this because I couldn't call a mentor because no one had got through COVID. Yep. There was no case study to read, right? Like I couldn't, I couldn't call, you know, our friend Chris or anybody, like, you know, coach, no one had gotten this, right? And so... So I had to go figure, we had to go figure it out for ourselves. And we, we, and, and I and the team, we, 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 there was that window where, man, we didn't know we were in a business, but we figured it out. We made all the hard decisions and, and, and we were able to, we were able to apply through. But I'll tell you that that whole thing, and one of the things I tell leaders all the time is you have to take care of yourself. And, and I would say that was the second biggest thing I would tell you that that, that, that would been the biggest impact on career. And did you not take care of yourself before? Like when, where, what was your mental health and physical health like before all of that? Yeah, you know, me mentally I was all, I mean, you know, mentally I was fine. Physically probably wasn't the greatest, you know, I was, yeah. you know, you, you know, us, you know, we were traveling all the time before yeah. COVID, you're eating expenses, you're eating, you're eating meals, you're, you know, oh, let me, oh, it's, oh, I'm just going to have a Coke because I need caffeine inside of me, right? And so the worst thing you can do is drink a Coke or, yeah, I'm gonna grab some Mickey D's real quick because I gotta run to the airport. Not stick up, you know, whatever, right? And so I, I just and and look, and I just and I know there there are other CEOs that didn't have don't have an issue, but I was just always going, right? I was going, you know, hundred miles an hour. And you know, that was my challenge. And so so physically I wasn't really just taking care of myself. And, and mentally I was all right. Um, but I didn't take time to do certain things. Like I did I didn't really have a lot of hobbies at the time. I was a little maybe watching Laker basketball, or whatever, but yeah, I was out, outside of that, you know, whatever I really did, you know, I didn't do much. So I really kind of really set up my set off to go do things I wanted to do. So I created this long list of things I want to do in my life. And now I've been ticking them off one at a time. I said, I'm going to write the book and I wrote the book. I'm going to write a movie screenplay and I wrote a movie screenplay and sold it last year. I'm now uh, my third one. You know, I, you know, I have, I want to run with the bulls. I want to swim with sharks. I mean, I, I have all this long list of things I want to go do and you know, places I want to go visit in the world. Like we just, just did this amazing vacation over the holidays in Italy, which was amazing. And that, that, was, that was pretty awesome. And so, you know, I mean, yeah, I, I probably, I discovered it a little bit later in life, but I discovered it and, and that's what I do now. And, and I carve out a lot of personal time for myself now, well, more than I ever have. Cause you know, I, I have two amazing sons, married, I've had an amazing dog. I tell you, having that dog is really kind of really it's also allowing me to have an amazing, you know, look at dogs are absolutely amazing companion animals to have because he, he he's absolutely wonderful. And my sons are great, my wife's great. And so it's it's really it's really um, been a really uplifting experience for me on a personal basis for me over the last three years. Doing well and personally I've been doing great. And you know, I really discovered my why in this process through a fellow white PO. I was having a conversation and you know, we were talking about what's your why, you know, the whole Simon Sinek started with why, right? You know, what's your why, what's your why, what's your why? And he looked at me and said, Rajiv, you know, you give so much of your time to other people. You don't realize that your why is honor other people's dreams. And that really hit me hard. So that's my why. And, you know, I'm glad I found it when I was 52, not when I was 82. I love this. Uh, in fact, at the beginning of the year, we brought in a, a speaker to lead us uh, as a whole company through a workshop of creating your dreams list. Because, you know, I... 
I want my all of my employees to love their jobs as much as I love mine. I love what I do. And um, and I think everybody deserves to feel that way. And and you know, let's face it, like we all work to be able to live our dreams. Like luckily when we love what we do, right? It doesn't necessarily feel like work all the time, but it can be very draining and very busy and very stressful and a lot of pressure. Uh, and so uh, we all sat down for three hours and we cultivated a dreams list. And what our goal is over this year is to help our employees to fulfill as many of those dreams as possible. So I love what you've done here. How has this new way of looking at life, right, of I'm going to make sure that I'm doing the things that bring me joy and I'm taking care of myself, translated that, translated to your team? You know, are, uh, how, how do you encourage other people to, you know, have good self-care practices and to live their dreams within your company? That, that, that's a great question. So I think two things. Number one is when, when COVID hit, we made, a, we made a conscious decision to restructure the entire teams and to remove silos because 1105 is a fairly complex business. So the name of the company is 1105 Media. If anybody goes to 1105media.com, you'll see it. It's a B2B marketing and media company. It's a leader in its space. And we do everything from big data analytics to cloud media to you name it, right? Infrastructure stuff. And so it's really a great little bit. It's a great business. And it's, it's essentially five, well now four companies with four individual P&Ls that all rolled up to a master P&L at the holding company. And I'm the CEO of the holding company and I've got presidents of each business unit. And kind of before COVID, it was like, you know, everything was kind of coming up to me. You feel like a bottleneck, things like that. So during COVID, we said, you know what we're going to do? We're going to completely transform the business. And we pushed all decision-making down to the teams. We decentralized everything out of corporate. We reduced the size of corporate tremendously. And you know, we, we said, you know what, we're, we're going to make our internal customer the most important customer for ourselves. And that, that's not to say the external customer, the club company buying our solutions isn't important. They are, but I took this big stand and it's really, it's really kind of resonated now with the rest of the company. As evident, like our attrition rate, well, right, right now the company is like less than 2% in the middle of the great resignation. And we've completely empowered everybody down to the customer level. Do you do whatever you got to do to take care of your actual customer? Because I'm going to do everything I can to take care of you. Mm-hmm. And we really transformed the culture that way. You know, we did, we, we do things like, for example, on election day, we get everybody a paid day off to go vote on election day, right? If you're not happy, if you're not feeling like, you know, your, your needs are like being met by public official, go vote. Well, Receive people vote by mail. That's fine. Take that as a mental wellness day. Go get involved with your local polls. Go do whatever you want you to do. But small little things like that, right? So, so we, so we, we, we completely decentralized the business, pushed all decision making down, and we really allowed everybody to go, you know, have to make those decisions, and no one gets fired for making a mistake. Yeah. Well, there's that for trying. So that was the first big thing we did was really function internal customer. And in order to do that, though, I needed to be an example for my leadership team. I've got ten direct reports. And so we did something similar to you. We didn't bring in an outside speaker. We kind of just did it myself where, for example, last year, everybody had to write down what was their goal, personal goal that they wanted to achieve for the year. Somebody wrote down, play, learn how to play guitar, or, you know, take a trip to Croatia or whatever, whatever they might be, you know, eight, seven out of 10 accomplished their goals. Three of them did it and now they want to roll it over to this year, whatever that's fine. But, but we did, we did those things. And, and from, from a cultural perspective right now, I, I think it's the best cultural management team 
that, that, that we've had in place. And then I think you're, and you're absolutely right. You've got to be able to do that. You have to, you know, people need to know that you're not, that they're not just coming to work, you know, to work nine to five. In fact, everybody in my company works from home now. So, but they're not just getting up. And that was another big change. And you have no idea how much feedback I get. And then also, you know, I don't know if you see this in your company, but my company is fairly virtual in what we do. And we're very kind of media-based. Everything's very digital-oriented, right? We don't have any storefronts. We don't have inventory, whatever. Our inventory is banner ad space right. on our websites, you know? And so, you know, being able to get people back their time, I told them, look, I don't care if the job gets done at 10 a.m. or if the job gets done at 10 p.m. As long as the job gets done. I don't care if you're doing the job here in Irvine, California, or somewhere in Colorado, or if you're doing the job in the city in Paris. I don't care as long as the job gets done, you know? And so people got that. And when you give your team that level of trust, and it starts with transparency, when you give them that level of transparency and level of trust, it's amazing what they'll do for you. Yeah, I agree completely. So what are your thoughts? Because I have lots of them on a lot of these CEOs that are forcing people to come back to the office. Like we have a hybrid workforce here. We're an employee-owned company, so it's very much the same thing. Like, you know, you've got to do a good job. Or we we have high performance standards here, but I love having um, the ability to give my team as much autonomy and freedom over their work as possible. And obviously, some jobs are better suited to be at the office and have to be, especially in manufacturing. Um, and some, you know, you can do from home. And so we've been working really hard on all of that. And yeah, I read all these articles about CEOs who are saying, you it's not working, productivity is down, get back to the office. What, what are, what's your opinion on, on what they're doing? Are they right? Are they wrong? Both? Yeah, you know, it's, it's interesting. You know, I get, quite, I get that question asked a, a lot. Like for us, prior to COVID, my company was already 40% remote. Yeah. That had come that way through acquisitions and the acquisitions were all around the country and DC and Dallas. Flockers in Ohio. So we are, we have employees kind of all over the place already. And so for us, it just kind of, for us to extend that to others was, was like not a big deal. And had we seen a drop off in productivity or revenue, we would have definitely, you know, consolidated and done more in, in offices. Uh, but, you know, keep in mind, I was in what, at one point I was spending over $2 million a year on leases. And now I'm spending about $400,000 on leases, which is like, well, we're cheap. You said everybody's working remote. That's because I have some legacy leases that haven't expired. I'm still servicing some of those leases. Now, I'll be honest with you, my finance team, most of them like to come into the office. So, so they, and they like to, because it's easier for them to talk, you know, and to, close, to do month closes and next to each other. So, so they like that. So we allow people to come back. If they want to come back, they're welcome to come back into an office, right? Now, every four to five months, I have a conversation with my management team. Do you guys want to go back into an office? And so far, the answer has been no. We've got it. We just had a board meeting. The board asked the same question. The answer has been no. I think it depends on the type of company. Like, for example, like here at Disney, like Disney is, let's say, I think it's three days a week or four days a week in the office. And but then I understand why, you know, that you've got so much engineering, you've got so many, Disney's such a large integrated conglomerate, right? Like if you, if you are going to input, like you've got Star Wars parks, right? And they have to talk to the, the movie guys. And then they have to talk to the hospitality team because they're one or one Star Wars themed hotel. And then they have to integrate with the, with the toys people. That kind of can become hard and difficult to navigate, but if you're under one roof, that might make things a little bit easier. So well, I totally get that. I understand now, but what are the trade-offs? Trade-offs are, okay, you might see a little bit higher attrition rate. My company, they love it. I think that's one of the perks of being at 1105. I think that's why our attrition rate is so low because we give them that, that, that flexibility to do that. Now, if it ever comes to the point where, hey, we really need you back in an office, yeah, 
we'll go back to an office, but I think I'll lose a few people in the process because they really like that flexibility of being able to work from home. And, you know, and it's, it's hard sometimes because living in Southern California and parts of California, it's expensive. You know, so some of the people with COVID, it, they moved out of kind of the LA area proper and they went further out. So now they're an hour, an hour and a half away even from a local office, right? We have, we have, we have an employee that moved to Washington or, you know, we moved to, you know, one employee, for example, moved to literally the border of Washington and Oregon. And so they live in Washington for no state income tax. And then they drive five minutes across the border to Portland for both, for no, for no sales tax. And so it's great for them. It's the best of both worlds. So, I mean, but we give them that flexibility and, no, and not a lot of companies will do that. So for us, it works. Yeah. Probably doesn't work for everybody. Like, so you know, I think, look, I think the bigger question is going to be this, which is in the next two years, the, the majority of the workforce is going to be Gen Z, millennial. And for the first time, women, as you know, will have a slight majority in the workforce. I think in the next 24 months, we're going to know whether or not the whole hybrid model if it's going to be a hybrid model or if it's going to be a, or I'm sorry, if it's going to be a return to office, stay home or some sort of hybrid model, I think it's going to be some sort of hybrid. Yeah. I think the hybrid model is going to win and allowing your employees more flexibility is, is, is going to win out. Yeah, I agree. That's what we do. And I think it works really well. You know, I think we do. I mean, what we have to manage are, are those, you know, how do we create flexible opportunities for flexibility and autonomy for People who have to work on site as part of their um, their 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 job, right? It's, you've got to come in and build products. So, you know, what we found is that instead of just doing a blanket policy of okay, four day work week or you know, staggered start times, we've just asked everybody like, what does flexibility look like for you? And some people are like, well, if I could work from home, you know, one day a week, or if I could work from home three days a month, or if I could you know, come in a little bit later, or a little bit earlier. And I think that seems to have worked really well where we can just give people a little bit more freedom and in their flexibility and then hybrid the rest of it. But I'll tell you, I think it makes a huge difference. I mean, just this week, my son had the flu. Um, I like coming into the office. I'm at the office today. Um, I live like five minutes from the office. So that's nice. Uh, of course, the benefits of being in a small mountain town, right? I don't have to do like crazy commutes. Um, but you know, my son was sick. He's 10. He laid on the couch. I worked from home, but, uh, you know, before COVID I would have, even though I could have done that, I would have felt so guilty not being in the office, right? Because that's what we do. And now here I am able to be at home with my son who, you know, just needed me a couple of times to you know, rub his forehead and to bring him some water while he's not feeling good. And I could literally just be if maybe even more productive. And not feel at all guilty at all. Like feel like I'm doing a good job um, as, you know, my role within the company and being a good mom. And not having that added, that, that, that stress that I put on myself, right? Whether it was real or perceived, perceived, um, has made, improved my life so much. And I know that that is like that for all of my employees. And so that's why I agree with you. I think that hybrid is going to win out. I think offering flexibility and making it so where people, when they have to make a choice of staying home with a sick kid, whether that's, you know, a mom or a dad um, and coming to work, right, that you don't have to make that choice. You can do both, uh, I think is a really powerful thing. So yeah, I just experienced that this week and I'm incredibly grateful for the shift that has happened because I would have stayed home no matter what. Uh, but now I didn't have that weight of feeling guilty about it, you know, sitting on my shoulders. 
That's a pretty powerful, you know, removal of stress for people. Yeah. And that comes back down to the mental wellness side of, of the job. Yeah. Right. And so you said something uh, just a few seconds ago about being grateful. And I can tell you right now, you know, organizations that start to shift out more of a gratitude focused culture are the ones that are going to really excel in the future. And, you know, I was, I, I, I quote Satya Nadella a lot, the guy that took over from, for, for uh, Steve Ballmer for, for Microsoft, see Microsoft. I mean, he really transformed that business. Microsoft went from being the evil company, right? To not being the darling. Everybody loves Microsoft, right? Microsoft, you know, and, and Google is, went from the, the new kid and be like Google to now the evil one, right? It's really odd. And it's, it's interesting. And if you ask something, they have a why, we'll tell you it's all because of gratitude. It's about having and start, starting everything with every morning, every meeting, everything related to the business from our, if you leave from a place of gratitude, everything else will fall in place. And like right now, there's a, I'll tell you right now, there's a lot of disruption that's coming to the workforce, and not just from a demographic perspective, but also from a technology perspective with things like AI, IoT and robotics and all these types of things, like more and more manufacturing is going to be coming back here, 3D printing, Steve, a step that I'm sure that you're looking at all the time in, in your in your business. And so there's a lot of disruption that's coming and I don't, you know, we're not necessarily ready for it, but that's why we as leaders need to be be ready for that and be able to have that flexibility in our workforce. Because the minute you lose one employee that's been here for a long time, you're not just losing that person's output, you're losing their entire, you're losing a whole bunch of, of experience too, you know, and so that, and, and that's what makes it tough. I love it. Um, I love that you brought that up. I was just talking to one of my employees today uh, and uh, we had our biggest month, record month, blue, like, you know, by 25% of a record. Um, was not what we were, ex we were expecting to have a good month, but not this good, but it caused stress. We, we run lean, right? We're a super profitable company. We're employee owned. We know how to do more with less. Um, but that was just something that we were not prepared for. And it caused a lot of stress within the organization to get that much product out the door while we're doing all kinds of big initiatives, um, uh, strategic initiatives too. And so I was talking to him about stress level and mindset and um, and I do a lot around mindfulness and I want to do more within the company, but I said, you know, there's some powerful things like you are looking externally for somebody to come in and relieve your stress. And I get it. And I'm not saying what I'm about to say is not a, an excuse to not be resolving some of these issues, to be thinking about how do we handle um, a big spike like this. But, you know, there are things that you can do right now to relieve your stress. You are in control of your inner world, right? Gratitude, breathing, taking a few deep breaths. How do I turn my negative thoughts into a positive? How do I turn an I can't into a I can and I am not into an I am? And so we just practiced for a little bit. It was like, tell me a couple of the negative thoughts that you've been having. Let's turn them into something positive. Let's take five deep breaths together. And then let's each tell each other what we're grateful for. He emailed me right afterwards and was like, I just had like such a profound shift in what I've been thinking. Like, thank you for that few minutes. The gratitude piece, like I have been missing that. Like how important is that to be talking about within our workplaces, right? And, and, and I think leaders just miss out on so much ability to help their employees manage stress when, because they avoid talking about things like mindfulness or being grateful, you know, and, and be willing to lean into those types of personal type conversations. But it was a really powerful situation. How do you do that within your organization? Like, how do you talk about 
being grateful? How do you talk about mindfulness and stress management tools? Yeah, no, that's great. You know what? We, we do exactly what you did. Literally, we do that. Exactly what you did. So I do. I do. We have the one on my one on ones on a weekly basis. I have my staff meetings every Tuesday. You know, I have a situation with with one of my with one of my business unit leaders. She's she's awesome. She's fantastic. She's super intelligent. She's been she's been doing it now for six seven years. She's fantastic. But every once in a while, when things get tough, her first reaction is to go to the negative. Her first reaction is, "Oh no, can't do it." Oh. And then I say, no, take a deep breath, step back, come and talk to me in 24 hours, because I know in 24 hours, you can come back with a whole plan to go take the note and everything's going to be perfectly fine. But just her personality is one where she just automatically is the worst case scenario. I remember when I was working for Michael Dell, I remember going to a meeting with him and another VP and Michael asked his VP and I to go back and, and work on a project. And that was there to more support the VP. And, and to help him out. And we walked into the room to present and, and he, he had nothing, he had nothing to present. And he kept telling Michael how, how he couldn't do this, how we couldn't do this, how we can't, we can't, we can't, we can't, we can't. And Michael walked up to the whiteboard and wrote the word can't on the whiteboard and circled it, put a in red and put a big line through it. And so come back and talk to me when that word's out of your vocabulary. And that was kind of my very first experience, that word can't, because anything's possible, right? And just time and money. And, so look, one of the couple of things we do at the company is we do mental wellness days twice a year. You know, we do have access to kind of like a, a pseudo psychologist slash coach available to people on the team if they want to talk to somebody and she gets used quite a bit and people talk to her and blossom. You know, I think, you know, we give people the flexibility to do their job, but we do talk a lot about what you did with, with this employee. Like, okay, tell me what's the positive here. So one of the things we do Friday we end the week with something I call twigging. And when I was growing up as a kid, I used to love a TV show called This Week in Baseball. And, and so, and it was done by a former St. Louis Cardinal player, Hosley Smith, and it was really cool. And it kind of summarized the week in baseball. And it was fun. And it was great. And so I said, you know what we're going to do? We're going to summarize the week. It's called, it's, we're going to call it twigging. And twigging stands for This Week in Good News. Because every Friday, my team has to email me the three or four things that work really well for them in the business this week. And then I summarize all that and then I send it out because I want them to end the week on a positive. Yeah. I want them to go into the weekend on a positive. I want them to go in there and say, oh, even though we had some challenges, there was some good news in the weekend. What was that? And it, it, takes them, it takes them a few minutes to kind of put together because they have to really think about what happened. Yeah. That even if, so like, for example, if one of the divisions is, oh, you know, we didn't get any orders this week, but we sent out 28 proposals and, you know, whatever the case might be, right? So it really gets them to think about the positives that did happen. So, so, we, so those are things we do. So very, very similar to what you I love that. I'm totally going to steal that. <laughs> yeah, go for it. So let's talk a little bit um, about, I want to talk about your book and I want to talk about your rules. Uh, so can you tell us a little bit about your book? What inspired you to write it? Like, why was it on your dreams list? Yeah, I know. Look, I mean, why was all the dreams list? Real honest, the answer is I kind of wanted to leave something behind for my sons. Yeah. You know? And so that was kind of there because, you know, you, you know, just hopefully for their kids type of thing. So that's kind of like the number one motivator by us with you. But then I had the idea for the book for a long, long time. You know, I, I just, I had notes about leadership and the changing of leadership and the evolution of leadership and how 
if you think about the workplace ever since the mid eighties, it's all been about servant leadership, right? And servant leadership is, hey, Carrie, you know, even though I'm the CEO, I work for you. What tool do you need to be successful? How can I help you get that sale? What, what do you need for me for you to do your job better or whatever the case would be? That's essentially servant leadership, right? And to me, servant leadership is still going to be there. But in doing my research, as I mentioned earlier, the demographics are going to be changing. Technology going to be massive. Technology upheaval. You know, there's more power in our iPhones today than there was in the entire movie in the 60s. I mean, I can run my company from anywhere in the world. When I was in Italy, I was doing that. The only thing I don't do on my phone is I don't do board meetings. And then I even do my staff meetings on my phone. I can sit anywhere in the world and do my staff meetings on my phone. My screen, and I'll even go and I know what's happening. And I can review all my financials, you name it, right? So I realized all these things are going to be happening and it's like a perfect storm. You have a perfect storm of a demographic change. You have a perfect storm of a um, COVID and, and that might cause some change in how people interact at the workplace. And then you have this coming disruption with things like art with AI. And it's already people are now really seeing what the impact of the AI is to chat GPT and these other tools. You know, and so in industry as I mentioned earlier, robotics, all these different kinds of things. And so that's going to also cause massive up on people in the workforce. And so I just kind of started writing about this and I said, wow, you know, leaders of the future are going to have to be great. And I walked up to my whiteboard and I wrote the word great. And I kept staring at that. I'm like, well, gee, what does it mean to be great? I don't know. Well, then I erased it. I wrote it vertically and I wrote the words gratitude, resilience, empathy, accountability, and trust. And if you take the first letter, that spells great. So then I erased the word trust and I put the word transparency. And people say, well, why did you, why did you put, why did you, why did you want trust in the organization? And I said, yeah, you do. But here's the thing, in order to have trust in an organization, you first have, have to have transparency. You know, you got to tell them what's going on. And you're an employee-owned company, right? So you have to have transparency with, with, with your employees. And if, if all of a sudden you're hiding stuff, how are you going to get them to trust you, right? It's just not going to happen. Yep. And, so, and so then I kind of do that. And I said to myself, how, how are CEOs, how are leaders, how are people leading teams in the future going to take that every day? And that's what led to the title, Chase Greatness. And then I said, it's not about servant leadership anymore. It's going to be what I call enlightened leadership. And enlightened leadership says, hey, Carrie, not only am I here to help you be successful in the business, what can I do to help you be successful outside the business? How can I help you achieve that goal, that dream that you want to have for yourself, for your family? Because the more I can do that, the longer you're going to stay at my company. And that will also be a better bottom line because McKenzie came out and said, one of the beauties of having an amazing culture, one of the beauties of having this kind of, and I'm not saying they call it white leadership, but I call it white leadership, th that type of leadership stance, is that having that passion, it does improve your bottom line, but anywhere from seven to 9%. And so those that say it doesn't, is completely wrong. So that's why I wrote the book. It was done really well. I'm really excited. I've spoken to, to a few white chapters and, 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 and those things. And so it's been great. And, and I continue. It's Oh, you know, it was a best, it's been a bestseller twice. Um, it was just right now with the holidays. It was, it was the fourth most downloaded book on, on the Kindle in the leadership category. So that was pretty exciting to see. And so, yeah. And so it's been great. And, you know, and I think it's a good read. It's, it's a, it's a couple hundred pages and, and it's got in the back, as you, as you mentioned earlier, it's got these things called Kapoor rules and, you know, and it's just, you know, and. It got to 241 of them. And so my Instagram account's got the other 208 on there. Or actually, all 241 are on there now. And, 
I kind of stopped doing them now because I'm like, you know, there's probably too many of these things. And so I took a little bit of, I, 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 I took a little bit of a break from them. And, you know, they start, they start to sound the same, but, you know, but the rules have been great. And they're really just really meant to be bite-sized, small little things for leaders to, if one resonates with you, write that down and, and use that in, in your day-to-day work. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. And I think that's, that's what we need to remember that it's always a journey, right? And it's small things that add up. And so, you know, transforming, sometimes it might feel like you have, like, it can be overwhelming that you have to transform your culture, your team, or your leadership. But most of it's just small little things that we can do every day on our journey. And and that's why I like, uh, I like your roles. I, I like listening to them on Instagram because they're such good reminders that you don't have to, you know, swallow the elephant in one bite, right? It's just these little daily practices of, consistently improving, consistently thinking about your leadership and, and how you're chasing greatness, um, that, that add up over time. Next thing you know, it's like, oh, wow. Like I, I you know, maybe I am, maybe I'm a better leader now. You used to have those desk calendars where you flip them over. There's a little, like, that's kind of where the idea came from. And, you know, they were meant to be little social media bites as well. And, you know, and there's small little things on there, like, and, and there's a lot of stuff on there just ends up just being common sense, right? Which some of them are, you know, there, there's one, like my, my favorite one is, you know, hire people smarter than you can just do the job and get out of the way. And that, that's really hard for people to do. Yeah. You know, um, you know, there's the, the one that was probably, I got some of the most, I don't know, controversial, I guess, or whatever was what I said, F, F average, yeah. you know, it's like, you know, you, you don't want to be average. Nope. You know, it's like, what's the point, you know, look, the, the meaning of life and to me is to thrive. And, you know, it's, you know, so that's, those are small things. And so, you know, some of these rules resonate with people and some more than others and some don't, and that's fine. And I can debate them with people all you want. And I'm, I'm happy. You know, I got, I don't think there's a right answer or wrong answer. You know, so it's, it, it's, it's been a lot of fun. And so we'll, we'll, we'll see where, we'll see the future goes. And, you know, and so, but it's been great. And, you know, if, if people want to go get it, it's on Amazon, it's, it's an audible, it's on, Kindle, it's on Spotify now, which is great. It's called Chase Greatness. So, you know, so people. I'll include it in the show notes. Well, congratulations on the success of it. That's just so awesome. I'm just giving you a big hug because uh, it's just. Thank you so much. Yeah, wonderful. Thank you so much. So, one last question before we wrap up. The name of this podcast is Reflect Forward. What does Reflect Forward mean to you? I think I am the living, breathing embodiment of this concept of reflecting forward always looking forward. I'm looking forward to better myself personally. I'm trying to find ways to better my, my, my business, my family life. I'm looking, I'm always looking forward to how do I create a better experience around my friends? Like I, I, I am, to me, reflect forward is constantly understanding and realizing you gotta be in motion to, to understand what's happening. Because if you're not, you're gonna get left behind I don't want to be in a position where we're here, where you're left behind. And, and I just think there's so much, there's so much disruption that's on its way that the best way to survive that is to be able to, re- to reflect forward, is to be able to embrace, you know, what's going to happen and, and to really, to really l- look around you, make sure you surrounded yourself with other people who like to reflect forward. And that's what's key. Yeah. Well said. Thank you. All right. So I'll include this all in the show notes, but how can people find you? What's the best, best way to track you down? 
Well, obviously, you know, uh, there's the book. They can also go to LinkedIn and find me on LinkedIn. It's Rajiv Kapoor. The last name is K-A-P, like Peter, you are. Uh, Instagram is at Rajiv Kapoor. That's T-G and then R-A-J-E-E-V. There's two E's. And then K-A-P-U-R, so get me there. Not much of the Twitter user, a lot of Facebook, or just message me on LinkedIn and I'll get back to whatever I'm in. But I'm happy to talk to anybody who needs any help, whatever they need. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for joining me on the show today. This was awesome. I knew it was going to be such a fun conversation. Uh, we just share so much similar philosophy. So it's like talking to a kindred soul. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you're amazing. And, and I'm so impressed with you and your team and your growth. And I, I remember I, when we met in Rio, I was, I'll tell you, I can't, I was wanted to meet you. Like, you know, I'm following you, your success. And I know we have a common close friend in Chris. You know, Chris has always said nothing but great things about you. So I'm so glad that we finally were, we met in Rio. We spent some time there and, and now that we're doing this and, you know, I'm always here to help you as well. You and your father. Thank you. Thank you. Well, I appreciate that. And I look forward to seeing you again in person next. And uh, all right. Well, with that, we'll wrap things up. Thanks again. Hang tight, everybody. I'll be right back. All right, everyone, I'm back. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Rajiv. Such a great guy. So much fun. Be sure to check out his book, Chase Greatness. All right. I hope you have a fantastic rest of your day. And I look forward to hosting you next week. If you like this podcast, please write a review, subscribe to it, share it with a friend. It helps with the algorithms. And I always appreciate it. Thanks so much.